Good morning again to you. It's a morning for a little while longer. 30 more minutes or so. Today will be just a slightly different kind of message than we normally preach. Um, Normally we're expositional preaching, taking a text, expounding upon it. But here um, at the end of 2020, beginning of 2021, I want to bring you something just slightly different, but I hope it'll still be helpful And God's Word is definitely a huge part of this. So it's not like we're abandoning Scripture by any means. It's just a little different style of message. Um, Today is January 3rd, 2021. Did you ever think 2021 was going to get here? (laughs) Uh, For many people, 2020 could not end soon enough. I saw a funny picture online where a guy is looking at his computer screen and he's watching the calendar and the clock and he's got real big eyes and he's smiling and it says December 31st, 2020 at 11.59 p.m. He's waiting for it to click over and you could tell he's so anxious for 2020 to be over and then the clock ticks over to midnight And instead of the date changing to January 1st, it changes to December 32nd, 2020. And he goes like that. It's a funny stuff, a funny picture that's kind of shared around social media, but that kind of portrays a common attitude, doesn't it? We just wanted this year to be over with all the tragedy that happened in it. And in many ways, I'm glad it's over too. I'm not saying that's a bad thing for us to kind of want to move on. There's nothing wrong with wanting to move past uh, what we might consider a hard year. And it's been hard in many ways for many of you. Um, I'm sure you could tell about your personal struggles of all sorts. Um, We all could do that and we could take a lot of time doing it. But let's just think back briefly about some things, just a few things that happened in 2020. We had the start of a worldwide pandemic. That changed some things, hasn't it? To say the least. We've seen businesses shut down. We've seen racial tension at a seemingly all-time high. We've seen protests, some peaceful, some not so peaceful. We've seen a very controversial presidential election. We've seen people just become generally more polarized. People way over here on this extreme, people over here responding to that extreme by getting even more extreme, and everyone just spreads out further and further away from the middle ground. And it would be nice if all those things would just be instantly resolved when the clock struck midnight on January 1st, 2021. But that's not the way it works, is it? We're still in the middle. We're still in the middle of many of those things. And we might be dealing with some of them for quite some time still. But having said that, there is a certain uh, refreshment that comes with the new year, doesn't it? There's a certain refreshment to it. Feels like a good place to start over with some things. Um, 
And I think it's good for Christians to kind of treat it that way, honestly. If we need a check sometimes, a reality check, maybe our priorities were off. Maybe our Bible reading was off. Maybe our prayer life was off. And here comes the new year where people are thinking about starting fresh again. We ought to use that. We ought to use that to to always be learning, progressing in our faith, our walk with Christ. So... With that in mind, I just want to bring you a message this morning simply titled, Nine Lessons from 2020. Nine Lessons from 2020. You know, if we can't get rid of all the problems that we had in 2020, perhaps we can at least learn some valuable lessons from them, right? So this will be kind of a hodgepodge of different lessons from 2020, but I I do hope that the Lord will encourage you that he'll strengthen you by his truth as we leave 2020 behind and enter into 2021. And before we jump into the first lesson that I have down here, I'd just like for you to take your Bible and let's read a verse of Scripture that is helpful for us to think about as we come to this point in our lives. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 7. First Samuel chapter 7 and verse 12. Give you a chance to find that. First Samuel 7, 12. It says this. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shin and called its name Ebenezer. For he said... Till now the Lord has helped us. This verse, it comes on the heels of a battle that the Lord fought for his people. The people are repenting before the Lord for their idol worship. And so they're all gathered at this place called Mizpah and they fasted there and they prayed there. And Samuel the prophet was praying for them and making a sacrifice on their behalf to the Lord. Meanwhile, their enemies, the Philistines, say, wow, they're all gathered in one place at Mizpah. Let's attack. So they do. And it says that when Israel heard about the Philistines coming, they were very afraid. And it says, Samuel cried out to the Lord of Israel, and the Lord answered him. And as he was offering up the sacrifice... The Philistines attacked the camp. And here's what it says. The Lord thundered with a mighty sound and threw the Philistines into confusion. And they were defeated before Israel. And it's in response to that, what the Lord has done for them, and everything prior to that as well, that Samuel does what we just read about in verse 12. He takes his stone and he sets it up And he calls it a stone of help. That's what Ebenezer means. Ebenezer. And that word has since come to mean a commemoration for divine help. A commemoration of divine help, rather. He was saying by setting up this stone, the Lord has helped us. He's brought us to this place. He's helped us all the way to this point. And you remember... We sing the hymn, don't we? Come thou fount of every blessing. There's a verse in there that says, 
Here I raise my Ebenezer. Hither by thy help I'm come. The reason I wanted to read that verse to you this morning as we begin here is because at the end of 2020, beginning of 2021, can't we say the same thing? We can say that. Here we raise our Ebenezer. We've made it this far only because the Lord has brought us this far. We didn't make it here on our own. The Lord brought us this far. He's kind and good, isn't he? He's very kind. The Lord's given us a new year to serve him, a new year to learn of him, a new year to progress in grace and sanctification, a new year to grow in wisdom, and maybe a new year to perhaps be more obedient to the Lord than we were last year. And it's just with that attitude of thankfulness to the Lord for bringing us to this point that we come to share some lessons that hopefully we've learned in 2020. Maybe you've learned these. You've probably learned them better than I have. And you've probably learned more than I have. But I want to list some of these that probably are common to all of us. And if not, if you've never thought about them before, maybe the Lord will teach you and me even more in this sermon. Number one, very simple. The world is broken. That's a lesson from 2020, isn't it? The world is broken. In case you haven't noticed, it is broken. It's not functioning as it once was. This is where a biblical understanding of what happened in Genesis chapter 3 will help you make so much sense out of this world. And what I had in mind when I thought about 2020 here at this point is when we look around and see a world reeling from the effects of a virus, we are reminded, at least I'm reminded, of why we experience death and disease at all. There are theological reasons why death and disease exists. And when we see death, in any case, from any cause, whether it be the coronavirus or cancer or just old age, we should be reminded that this world is messed up. It is broken. Do you think about these things? Theology and gospel truths are not just experienced at church, right? They're seen out in the world. The the creation itself is preaching to us all the time. People are preaching to us unbeknownst to them. Why do people behave like they do? Why do people treat others like they do? Why do people get sick? Why do people die? Why is there so much suffering in this world? Why is there so much pain? Why does this world appear to be so dysfunctional? Well, the Bible shines light into all those questions, doesn't it? All of those things exist because of our first parents' sin. All was right between us and God. And then our first parents, Adam and Eve, disobeyed God and they severed the relationship that they had with him. And as a consequence, God says, 
you shall surely die. And that's what we've been doing. Dying. For thousands of years. Dying both spiritually and physically. So what I'm saying is, don't let tragedy pass you by without at least taking it as a reminder of why tragedies happen in the first place. It'll recenter your mind on reality. Sin is truly our greatest problem. It messed up our relationship with God. It messed up the physical realm too. Now it is possible for us to die from a virus, whereas it was not possible before. Sin has not led us anywhere good, has it? So that's my first lesson that I'm reminded of from the events of 2020. The world is broken. Just let that fact preach the gospel to your heart. The world is broken, but Jesus is going to make things right again. That's what encourages me when I think about that. This world is broken. The Bible is true. It tells me this is reality. It's not unexpected from what we read in Scripture that this world is operating as it is. But Jesus is going to make things right again. In fact, he's already started. He's already started making new creations. I believe that I'm standing in front of a group of new creations this morning. So the brokenness of the world just turns our heart upward. And it helps us Say what that song said. Oh, to see you, Jesus. I can hardly wait. Here's what's coming. No pain, no suffering, no deadly viruses, no death, no sin, no tears. That's the way Jesus is going to make it. I can't wait for that day. Lesson two. Closely related. Our days are numbered. I preached a sermon on this very recently where we looked at Psalm 90, verse 12. Let me read that verse to you once again. The psalmist is lifting his heart in prayer to the Lord, and he says this. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Isn't that one thing that a pandemic can do for us? teaches us to number our days. And it can teach us that lesson, by the way, no matter what your particular viewpoint of the virus is. There are debates endlessly, right, on whether this thing is as serious as people make it, whether you're on some point over here that says it's over-politicized, it's overblown, or whether you're over here saying, no, it's, it's very serious, it's the worst or maybe you're somewhere in the middle. None of that matters to learn this lesson. Our days are numbered, aren't they? And I won't try to preach my sermon that I preached a few weeks ago again. You can listen to that if you need to. Our days are numbered. Make them count for the Lord. Number three, very much related again. 2020 taught me and is still teaching me, don't waste time. Don't waste time. How much free time did we all suddenly have when the pandemic hit? 
Some had more than others, that's true, but many areas of life shut down. Churches were closed for a time. Schools were closed. Businesses were closed. And here's a sobering question for all of us. How productive were you in spiritual things during that time? Did we waste it? Are we still wasting it? Can we use our time better than we are right now? For some people, more time on their hands meant more Netflix, more hobby time, more getting stuff done around the house, more video games. Those things aren't necessarily bad in themselves, but devote too much time to them. And did we miss something from the Lord? Was he giving us that free time to maybe catch up on some things we missed, things we neglected, like prayer, like Bible reading? I know I could have used my time more wisely in many of those areas. How about you? question is, after we admit that we probably could have used our time more wisely, what are we going to do about it, right? Sometimes we think it's virtuous just to admit that we've wasted time, to admit that we've had some of our priorities backwards, as if God is just pleased for us to merely admit it. But we often stop short of actually doing something about it. Is that us? Is that you? Evaluate yourself here. You know yourself better than I do. And the Lord knows you better than you do. Will we make 2021 a year where we correct some of our misplaced priorities by God's grace? And he'll help us if we ask him, if we rely on him. He'll give us wisdom if we ask. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. James 1.5. We need wisdom to rightly order our priorities, don't we? Ask the Lord. He promised to give us wisdom in this area, whatever area we need wisdom in. Listen to these verses from Ephesians 5.15 to 17. You may want to write verses down and maybe look at them later. It says in Ephesians 5, 15 to 17, with this concept in our mind of not wasting time, listen to what it says. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. It's time, I think, that we took the example of our Lord, even when he was a boy on this earth, when he said, I must be about my father's business. Is that us? Is that what we're about? May God help us to not waste time. Some of these are sobering, I know. Bear with me. Fourth lesson, 
Ooh, it's a big one for me. Filling your perspective with more news than Scripture will inevitably lead to problems. Filling your perspective with more news than Scripture will inevitably lead to problems. How much news do we take in daily? It's bombarding us from every direction. We get it on TV, social media, the radio, newspapers, magazines, podcasts, you name it. But how much scripture are we intaking? What is the ratio between those two things in our lives? And this one right here will sneak up on you before you even realize it. Here's some questions you can ask yourself to sort of assess the problem. Are you constantly frustrated or outraged at how the world is going? Do you find yourself worried often over the state of the world, whether it be in the political realm or perhaps the moral realm or so forth? Do you find yourself demonizing your political opponents? In other words, do you constantly think to yourself, this world would be a much better place without those fill-in-the-blank, without those liberals, Democrats, Republicans, conservatives, whichever way you want to fill in the blank. If your news intake turns your mission field into your enemy, that's a telltale sign that the scripture-to-news ratio is off. If you look at people of the opposite political party as you, if you look at them as your enemy to be defeated and shamed instead of a soul in need of a savior, perhaps your perspective has already been warped by your media intake. I kind of explain it to myself this way. It helps me keep my perspective in check. Maybe it'll help you. This is not new to me or some original idea. Many of you have thought about this, I'm sure. Whether or not they'll admit it or not, the media outlets, whether it's TV station, podcast, newspaper, radio show, website, whatever, they're all pretty much after one thing, right? Money, right? Money. The more viewers, the more readers, the more listeners they have, the more money they make. And the news outlets want you and I to be constantly mad at someone or something. They love to cultivate outrage in us. Have you noticed that? Because if we're outraged over something, we'll share it with others. We'll be passionate about it. We'll share it on Twitter. We'll share it on Facebook. We'll share it with our friends and family. And guess what? The news outlets just get richer. And these media outlets also know their audiences really well. They love to feed us, their audience, with things that they know they'll like that they know we'll like. 
And we feel good about ourselves when we have our opinions confirmed by the media, right? We like that news outlet because they confirmed what I've always thought. Makes us feel smart. And we have a certain opinion about a situation that's going on in the world or a certain opinion about a politician. And this media outlet feeds us stories that tell us what we want to hear. And once you realize what's going on, it's a lot easier to turn it off, for me at least. And that's part of this lesson. Fill your perspective with more scripture than news. And see what it might do for your attitudes, your emotions, and just your general demeanor with other people and your outlook on what the Lord has us here for. Moving on, number five, closely related to number four, and it's news, this news uh, inundation that we have. Number, number five, we were not designed to bear the weight of the world on our shoulders. It's absolutely staggering how much information we have, isn't it, at our fingertips. Just go to Google. You can find anything you want to find. And if you want people's opinions on whatever subject, just be active on social media and you will get more opinions than you ever bargained for, right? But I want to propose the idea... Again, not original with me. Others have said the same, but we are not designed to bear the weight of the amount of information that we get. Think about that. We are not designed to bear that kind of weight. We're not designed to bear the weight of the world on our shoulders. There was an article written by Brett McCracken And it was called, 2020 proves we don't need more information, we need something else. He says this in the the article. The irony of the information age is that the more access we have to an unfathomable amount of information and accumulated knowledge, the less wise we seem to become. One problem with information glut is that it taxes our brains forcing them into constant triage mode and sapping them of energy and time for the deeper evaluative thinking necessary for wisdom. Another problem of an overloaded digital information landscape, he says, with Google as its gateway, is that we tend to find whatever we want to find. COVID-19 highlighted this problem. A mind-boggling amount of pandemic information is online. Projections, opinions on lockdowns, and so forth. With a bit of Googling, you can find something to back up whatever you want to believe about the pandemic. Whether the coronavirus or racial justice or any number of issues, this is why debates today so often come to an impasse. Each person arrives with their own set of facts and figures. Did you see this study? Did you hear what this expert said? And he says, few can be convinced that their facts are less valid than the others. 
I think that's accurate. And he says later in that article that our information is too much, too fast. It comes at us faster than we can process, and it's too fragmented. Fragmented meaning meaning like this. Uh, If you didn't know this, social media is fragmented, meaning this. It's algorithm-based. In other words, they learn what you like to view over time. And they feed you more of that because they know you'll read it. You know you'll click on it. And your social, feed, social media feed looks totally different from another person because it's tailored to their preferences. And what happens is we become ever more convinced that our preferred narratives are the correct ones about what's going on in the world while other social media, other people's social media pages look totally different and they're convinced that they're right, right? Not to mention just the nature of social media, we tend to friend and follow people who share the same outlooks and beliefs as us anyways. So in that way, just social media, and I don't want to dog social media because we can use it well, I think, But social media can be a breeding ground for creating a skewed reality if you're not careful. And I think this is an area where we as Christians, we need to more closely evaluate social media use uh, in light of Scripture, right? How do we use it? How should we use it? Are we stewarding it well? Something the Lord has given us to use. It's a platform of sorts. How do we use it? Can we better harness it for sharing the gospel? Maybe sharing a truth from scripture instead of the latest political zinger that might get us pats on the back from people who already agree with us. Perhaps it's time for a reevaluation of our use of social media habits in 2021. What do we want to be known for on social media? That's a powerful question. Ask yourself that question and think about it. Give it some thought. What do you want to be known for on social media? But back to the lesson right here at hand. There's only one who can bear the weight of this world. We're not cut out for it. God is the only one able to do that. He tells his people to rest easy. He's got this. Listen to Psalm 121 verses 1 to 4. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. He's not tired from bearing the weight of the world. It's nothing to him. He's sovereign. I love the Victor Hugo quote that says, Have courage for the great sorrows of life. And patience for the small ones. 
And when you have laboriously accomplished your daily task, go to sleep in peace. God is awake. I love that. God is awake. He's got the world. Don't try to solve every problem in your own mind and tell everyone else how to, right? That's what social media is many times. Let God handle the things that God is cut out to do. We're not cut out to respond to every issue. We can't even know all the facts about every issue, right? So let's quit taking in over and over every sorrowful, hopeless news story meant to outrage us and weigh us down and weigh your emotions down more than you were designed to handle. Leave it in God's hands. He can handle it much better than you or I. Lesson number six. God is sovereign. There's an encouraging thought. God is sovereign. We knew that going into 2021, but it's funny how the Lord teaches you lessons that you thought you knew, but you, maybe you didn't. Do you think 2020 caught God off guard? Do you think that he had to kind of sit on the edge of his seat and sort of react to what all happened? No, not one single thing surprised God in 2020. Because guess what? God decreed that it all would happen. And whether you want to assign the terminology of God planned it or maybe God allowed it, either way, that puts God in ultimate control of it, doesn't it? And he's been eternally aware of it. And he's been working his purposes throughout all of it. Praise the Lord. We serve a God who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Ephesians 1.11. All things. Even 2020? Yes. And I don't find any way to assign anything to chance or luck after reading the Bible. God is in perfect control of every single thing in this universe. Do you believe that? He's in control of every single thing in this universe. Charles Spurgeon believed in the sovereignty of God. Listen to what he says. Quote, I believe that every particle of dust that dances in the sunbeam does not move an atom more or less than God wishes. That every particle of spray that dashes against the steamboat has its orbit as well as the sun in the heavens. That the chaff from the hand of the winnower is steered as the stars in their courses. The creeping of an aphid, that's a fly if you didn't know what that is. The creeping of an aphid over the rosebud is as much fixed as the march of the devastating pestilence. The fall of leaves from a poplar is as fully ordained as the tumbling of an avalanche, end quote. And that isn't just some eloquent Spurgeonism. We see this taught in Scripture. 
We read of God knowing and being involved in something as trivial as a sparrow falling to the ground. We read in Proverbs 16.33 that the lot, like a dice that you throw, the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Something as small and seemingly trivial as dice being cast The Bible says God is in control of it. He's in control of viruses, and he's in control of presidents and governments. We read in Proverbs 21.1, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Hmm. King's heart. A stream in the hand of the Lord. I read about a pagan king, King Cyrus in Ezra chapter 1. Many of you have read Ezra chapter 1 in our Bible reading group that we have on Facebook. Join that if you need some help reading your Bible, just keeping you accountable. But on the first day, January 1st, we read, among other chapters, Ezra 1 where it says God stirred up the spirit of Cyrus to call God's people back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. Just all of a sudden, Cyrus, not even a believer, gets this idea, I think I should bring the Jews home and let them rebuild the temple for their God. Okay. God stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, it says. So you don't even have to claim Christianity before God can do what he wills with you and me. He'll do whatever he wants with whomever he wants, whenever he wants, because he's God. And that's not a bad thing to the Christian. That's a good thing. Because he's told us there's nothing that can shake us out of his good and kind hand. We're there. He's got us. There's nothing that will ultimately doom us. There's nothing that will thwart God's plan that he has for his people and his church. He's building his church for his glory. We don't have to worry about viruses in the same way that the world does. And I'm certainly not making a light of of, of a serious virus, nor suggesting us to be foolish. But I think we can err by being too fearful of it. All the while, a sovereign God watches over and keeps his people. Lesson number seven. The church is essential. The church is essential. There was so much talk this past year about essential and non-essential. Non-essential businesses. Non-essential personnel. Essential personnel. And some government leaders would have us believe that liquor stores are essential, while churches aren't. And that ought not to surprise us, really, right? That's how the world thinks. But I'm reminded today that Christ's church is essential. The church is what Christ is building. He said as much in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
The church of Jesus Christ is made up of local outposts, embassies, if you will, like this one. Embassies of God's kingdom. And every single Christian is called to be committed to one of them. We have a direct command from Scripture, from scripture not to forsake the assembly of ourselves together, right? Hebrews 10, that's just a basic command. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. How prominent are local churches in Scripture? Well, we have letters in the Bible written specifically to local churches. The Bible assumes believers are meeting regularly in local churches, so much so that letters are written to those churches. The Bible commands us to speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs in Ephesians 5. We can't do that without being together regularly. Ephesians 5 also tells us to submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. I can't submit to believers I don't know and who I don't regularly interact with, right? This assumes Christians are part of local churches. The scriptures speak of church elders, church leadership. That's, that assumes local bodies of believers led by those leaders, where the leaders know their people and the people know their leaders and so forth. There's also ton of, tons of one another commands in Scripture that just cannot be obeyed apart from being together regularly. And the Bible uses metaphors like a body, a spiritual house, a family, and so forth to show how involved and interconnected we Christians are supposed to be to one another. So all that to say, Lone Ranger Christianity, where you're just out on your own without being a member of a local church, that's foreign to the Bible. And it's spiritually detrimental and it's disobedient to the Lord. And just because it's 2020 and there's a pandemic going on, that doesn't mean that the church and the Lord's work gets put on pause, right? The church in the grand scheme of things is absolutely essential. It's essential to the world because the world needs the light of the gospel. And who's going to share it to them except the church? And the church is essential for our own spiritual benefit too. I need you. We all need each other to become more like Christ. So the drive, the push... The desire should always be, I'm going to treat the church as the essential thing that it is in my life. And I think as you read the New Testament, that just becomes clearer and clearer. And I just want to say here too, just to be totally clear, I am not guilt tripping anyone who is still concerned about meeting due to health risks for themselves or their family members. I understand that. I'm sensitive to that. My personal pastoral mindset just wants to gently remind you. I'll look into the camera now. Just wants to gently remind you. If you're one of those people, we're praying for you. 
We love you. And as a pastoral exhortation to you, I want to say don't let that become comfortable to you. In other words, I trust that it bothers you to be away and that you're working towards and anticipating coming back as soon as it's possible. And I actually know that that is true for some of you because you've expressed that to us and I'm very thankful for that. And we love you. Again, we're praying for you all the time and we long to be reunited with everyone, don't we? We hope you're taking advantage of the live stream this morning at least. Lesson number eight. When believers disagree over non-primary issues, these things must prevail. Love, grace, patience, long-suffering, and gentleness. Here's some things that Christians can disagree over that are not primary issues. And we have sadly asked Dad, he's heard of them as well. We have heard of churches actually dividing over things like this. Whether it's safe to meet in person. Churches have divided over that. Whether we should wear masks. Churches have divided over that. Whether we should wear masks, not only here, but everywhere. Some people view mask wearing as maybe submitting to an unjust rule of the government. Others see them as a necessary and useful health measure. Those are things we can disagree on, can't we? Is that a primary issue? No, not at all. Another one we can disagree on, how to handle the problem of racism in America. I think we all would agree it's there to some degree or another. But what do we do about it? Disagreements abound there, don't they? These are legitimate conversations that we can have as Christians. But here's how we should approach them. With grace, with long-suffering, with patience, with gentleness. With love. Just because someone disagrees with me about masks or the solution to racism does not mean they are not my brother or sister in Christ. One thing Christians do is we care for one another. 1 Corinthians 12, 25. We also submit to one another. Ephesians 5, 21. We also humbly count each other as more significant than ourselves. Philippians 2, 3. We overlook each other's faults and are slow to anger with one another. Proverbs 19, 11. In passages like Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 8 teach that we ought to be aware of each other's differences of conscience in certain non-essential areas. In other words, if, if there's a matter that comes up of secondary or less importance, let's talk about it. Let's debate it even. But let's bear with one another in gentleness, in respect, in love. We don't 
seek to offend our brother by exercising our liberty in something. If it offends my brother, Paul says, even if I know it's not sinful for me to do, it's sinful for me to offend him in that way by using my liberty to flaunt around him so I won't do it just for their sake. Now that takes humility and patience, doesn't it? And takes a true consideration of others to be more important than yourself. Lord, help me in this area. Help all of us. The issues of 2020 should not drive a wedge between any of us, right? Let's talk. Let's debate. Let's be patient with one another while doing it, though. And allow for differences of conscience and opinion on issues that are Secondary, sometimes tertiary, sometimes even less. Final lesson for this morning. Almost done. Jesus is greater. I save the best one for last. Jesus is greater. The entire book of Hebrews is given to us to teach us that Jesus is greater. And in 2020, it's helpful to remember that. He's greater than any division we might have, whether it's racial or political or whatever. Jesus overcomes these divisions. He brings people of different backgrounds together, and he makes them one people. Jesus is greater than any problems we face. He's greater than any fears we have. He's certainly better than any politician that we've had on the ballot. I think many of us are tempted, perhaps every single election, not just this one. We're tempted to hold up a man as a political savior of sorts. And perhaps God is shooting those ideas down. He's telling us that you have no Savior except Christ. This Savior that entered into your mess came to earth, bore with everything that we have to deal with so that he could become our sympathizing high priest. And he shed his blood to save us from hell and to make us right with God. No matter what 2020 or 2021 throws at us, nothing can steal that kind of joy or peace. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Romans 8 says. Praise the Lord. I want to close with one more scripture from Isaiah. Will you turn to Isaiah 42? Isaiah chapter 42. And we'll just end here with kind of a sobering reminder. Let me just set up the verse with some background context, if you will. The people of Israel had been hit hard by their enemies in battle, and they responded with some very practical things. They had to rebuild some things, they had to fortify the walls. They had to move water around and so forth. 
But notice what they forgot. Verse 8, starting in the second part of verse 8. In that day, you looked to the weapons of the house of the forest, and you saw that the breaches of the city of David were many. You collected the waters of the lower pool, and you counted the houses of Jerusalem, and you broke down the houses to fortify the wall. You made a reservoir between the two walls for the water of the old pool. But you did not look to him who did it or see him who planned it long ago. Hmm. God was trying to get their attention by bringing these things upon them. And they were busy trying to react to these situations as best as they could, but they didn't do the most important thing. They didn't consider or look to him who did it or planned it long ago. Are we the same? That's my question as we close. Did we live through 2020 simply reacting to what was happening around us? Did we have the same reactions as the world around us who aren't even Christians? Were we just doing what we had to do to stay afloat, so to speak, and through it all, did we fail to see perhaps what God was doing? That He was trying to get our attention, perhaps. That He was trying to teach us these lessons. Not these specific ones, maybe, but a whole host of them. He was trying to teach us lessons the whole time and perhaps we missed some of them. I think he's going to continue teaching us in 2021, don't you? We just need to pay attention. We need to look to him. May the Lord just make us teachable in 2021. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful that you are a patient God. Lord, when we think of ourselves, we say you have some pretty slow and stubborn disciples here. Speaking of myself, we miss a lot of lessons. We forget lessons that we've learned in the past. We misinterpret lessons sometimes and miss it. Lord, help us to see your hand in the world around us. Help us to prioritize your word and your church in the year 2021 and beyond. Make us teachable, Lord. Humble us. Thank you for bringing us this far and for never letting us go. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.